This is the Employee to Entrepreneur podcast, the show for the family man who wants to escape the rat race. So if you are a husband or a father and you're looking to start a side hustle, start a micro business so that you can eventually escape your nine to five, then you're in the right place. I created this show for you because I am you. I'm your host, Brendan Ryan. And today I'm joined by somebody I'm very excited to have on, somebody I've been trying to get on the podcast for a while now because he's a very highly successful entrepreneur. His name is Austin Evans. He is the owner, the franchisor of Lean Kitchen Company. He also has some other businesses as well that we'll talk about, he'll mention on the podcast. But he is a guy that has done it the right way and is also a husband and a father so he matches the ideal avatar of somebody that we can all aspire to be like in terms of being a family man first and a businessman second and doing it really really well i might add and so in this episode we talk about what it's like to be a dadpreneur throughout growing multiple businesses and also how important being profitable is austin thanks for joining me today yeah, thanks for having me, man. I've been wanting to get you on for a while. I know I've been bugging you for for months about it, but you're probably one of you're like just such a perfect fit for the podcast. I think because you're a very successful entrepreneur, um, a dad, etc. I know, and I know your your father quite well. That's why I was bugging bugging you about it. So, um, very excited to have you here. For the audience's sake, can you give us a quick um, overview of your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I've wanted to be an entrepreneur as long as I can remember. Um, gosh, I, I wanted to own a business when I was and I remember in school telling teachers like, oh, they'd say, what do you want to do? And I'd say, I want to own my own business. And, I would, and they'd be like, what is it going to be? And I was like, I have no idea. I just know I want to do it. So I've literally, I mean, deep down, always wanted to be an entrepreneur on my own business. Um, I started, I mean, my first real business, right? I mean, we all had our vending machine businesses and, and whatever. But my first real business was a retail store called Fit Republic that I franchised based out of Colorado in late 2015. Um, and then long story short, man, I, I opened another location. And then I, that was selling supplements. So like, think like a GNC kind of model, um, nutritional supplements, weight loss, sports nutrition. And then I realized the biggest thing people were missing was healthy eating. I could try to teach people how to eat healthy, but they didn't do it. And so dove in headfirst, built a commercial kitchen. A brand called Lean Kitchen was born, uh, fresh prepared meals, integrated that into the supplements, and then began franchising these stores called Lean Kitchen that uh, we sell sports-related nutrition supplements, and we sell fresh prepared meals. We do delivery and all kinds of things. And so... Um, started franchising that have locations all over the country now. And then I also own a couple ice cream stores. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. So at what point, I've never had a franchisor on the podcast before. So at what point did you decide that it was a good idea to start doing that? Yeah, super early on, man. So I, um, you know, in hindsight, it's funny because I was hot to trot, man. I started franchising quick because I just knew we had an awesome product. We had healthy, fresh prepared meals that tasted amazing. They were selling out like crazy. And um, I had all kinds of people all over the country that I knew in the supplement world that were like, man, we want to launch that here. There's nobody doing that. And so I started franchising. Like, honestly, it was like my naivety, naivety, whatever the word is. It was my, <laughs> it was my ignorance being young um, and just being like, I got, I can do this. And then went and started becoming a franchisable concept and was off to the races quick. 
So what would you say if somebody was going to do that themselves? What would they look for in their business to know if it would be a good business to be able to do that with or when they're ready for it? Yeah. So, man, wow. Knowing what I know now, it's 100% different than the way I did it, um, which the way I did it's worked. And so that's cool. But um, it, it, I, I talk to people right now who have great brands who want to franchise or want to begin franchising. And I have a piece of advice. And it's like, I would make sure you're extremely profitable and have a really strong cash flow monthly on your financial statements. You're keeping strong books. You have processes in place. Processes are the most important thing. And I mean, have it buttoned up be able to retrain it. It's good if you can duplicate your concept, duplicate your concept a couple times, or at least have two locations. So you can say, look here and look here and you've done it. Um, and those are some things that in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I would tell others. However, like I know some people are going to be just like me where they didn't do any of that. They just were off yeah. the races franchising way early. And, and in that case, you figure it out also. I mean, that's the funny thing about business. Everybody's journey looks different. Yeah. So, so I heard a couple of things there. One being making sure that you're highly profitable, the cash flow is good, but also making sure the the processors are in place, like the SOPs and everything. Because it's that in order to franchise, that's the whole point, right? You you're you're essentially selling the not only the 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 name, the brand name, but also the processes. So it's that McDonald's model, if you will. So you did I hear you mention that some people like kind of jump in without having that dialed in? Oh yeah, I mean I did. Wow. Like literally, I, I, I jumped in really quick. And so, and that's so important. I mean, we were figuring out the importance of very detailed processes to teach like late compared to how I would tell people to do it now. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, it's, I mean, but franchising is interesting, man. I mean, the, the strong cash flow, you, you need to, if you're going to go franchise, you better be a damn good salesman of, and believe in your product and your, in your uh, business because when you're hiring brokers, it's difficult. I mean, man, I don't know. There's so much I could unpack here. Yeah. You just made me so happy by saying that you need to be a damn good salesman. Cause I say all the time on this podcast, I push sales is the, I say it's the gateway drug to entrepreneurship. There's so many guys that get started in sales and eventually, you know, because they're talking to the market all the time, they see how good businesses operate. They eventually create their own business, whether that's like a consulting business, SaaS product, whatever it might be. But I've seen it in so many different instances in um, younger entrepreneurs, but also like the greats too. Like Gary Vee was the same way. Mark Cuban got started in sales, like you name it. Yeah. Like, um, so I'm a big, I'm huge on sales. It, it just seems like there's so much resistance there that people don't want to do it because they think it's, um, you know, old school and sleazy and all that kind of stuff. So but you have to be good at it. It's a necessary thing. Like I know two or three concepts right now off the top of my head that I've talked to these people and I've tried to give them guidance with franchising and man, they're a franchisable concept. They got their paperwork, they're registered, everything else with the FTC and they're three years in and they haven't sold one franchise mm. and it's, I mean, it's a multitude of reasons, but one of them is because they don't know how to sell. And then part of knowing how to sell is, especially in franchising, is knowing how to sell in a compliant way with the FTC, because there's so many things you can't do. You can't make promises, implications, guarantees. And it's funny because I've talked to these brands that I think have huge potential and they don't know what they're doing to the point that they're like, dude, you're going to kill it. Listen, I'm pulling 30 grand a month out of my location. You're going to do great. You can't say that. And they don't know that. And, right. and I'm like, you're going to end up, if you do sell one and it goes and flops, they're going to come back on you and say, 
you told me I was going to make 30 grand a month. They're just saying things they shouldn't say. So there's so much to, uh, you need to be armed with going into it. But yeah, sales is insanely important. Yeah. 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 As an entrepreneur, you need to be able to sell like in that case, I, I haven't thought about that. Like selling a franchise that's a, you know, a whole different ball game, but as an entrepreneur, you got to be able to sell your employees on the vision. You got to be able to sell investors in your company. If you eventually do that, um, on obviously you got to sell your customers too. So yeah, yeah it's, I think, yeah. The, and, and that's something like, like sales. Okay. We think selling, selling something, but like you just said, the ability to sell your employees, not in a sleazy way, you have to be able to paint a picture to be successful in business. If you can't paint a picture of growth, you know, so many people probably listening to this that want to go into business for themselves. The reason they're looking for something to do is because they're bored in what they're doing, because they're yeah. stagnant, because they've right. been working at a company behind a desk doing X job duty and it hasn't changed and it's not going to change. And it's the mundane and it's the monotonous shit they do every single day. And so you have to be able to paint the picture for what you're going to do and grow because people want to be a part of growth. And then selling, yeah. speaking of selling, like selling a franchise, like I don't toot my horn when I say this, cause like there's a whole lot of people that are a whole lot better than me, but selling the idea of a franchise to me, in my opinion is one of the hardest sales on the face of the planet because you're trying to get people to, invest their life savings, mortgage their home, um, take out an SBA loan, and then take on all this risk and then completely dive in head first and change their entire lifestyle. It's a yeah. wild, wild sale, but it's extremely rewarding. It's the coolest thing ever when you see people succeed. Um, yeah, I bet. It's an interesting, crazy hard sale, crazy rewarding when it happens, right? Yeah, because there's got to be, you know, sales is they say sales is a transfer of energy across a bridge of trust, right? Like I love that saying, but that with regards to that, like selling a franchise, that trust has got to be strong because like you're saying that people are like refinancing their houses, using their life savings. And then it's basically for them, um, in a way, kind of like a career transition, right? They're probably often having to work in the franchise. Do you have that? Like an owner operator situation? Yeah. Yeah. You got to owner operate. Yeah. So it's a huge life transition. And and then think about this. The discovery process is typically 45 to 90 days. So you're dating somebody and deciding I'm jumping in for the rest yeah. of my life for the next right. 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That is a hard sell for sure. That is really hard. It's, and the sales cycle is long too, like you're saying. So you probably all have, man, that, that's got to be rough. So if you go through that, say, 45 days or whatever, and then right at the end they back out, that's – uh. That's brutal. It sucks. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it hurts. It hurts a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Well, so Austin, at what point in your entrepreneurial journey when you what was the the first thing you did was the first real business you said was remind me again? Uh, Fit Republic. It was a Fit franchise Republic. supplement store based out of Colorado. There was 13 at the time. Um, I was the 13th, I think. And and I was bringing that to my store, my, my market here, just north of Kansas City, Missouri. Now, do you still have that in the supplement companies? Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, you got I still uh, have that store. I still have that store right now. Yep. 
Wow, you have so many businesses. <laughs> so you got Lean Kitchen Company. Yeah, yeah man. Lean wow. Kitchen, I have two stores. I got two ice cream stores and real estate investments and different things. But I enjoy it, man. I enjoy the diversification. You know, just real quick, I'll speak to it because people always say Lean Kitchen and health. And then all of a sudden, ice cream. And there's all this big <laughs> joke in my small town. You're trying to get a stat over here to... Man, I just love business. <laughs> I, I, just, I just love business, man. And so uh, if you don't mind, I'll jump into ice cream real quick. So I, I, um, I'm born and raised in St. Joseph, Missouri, just north of Kansas City, town of 80,000 people, 70,000 people. And there's this big pink ice cream cone building right on the Belt Highway, the main thoroughfare through town, and it's called Chris and Kate's Ice Cream. And I always, I mean, as a kid, I loved it. Everybody who grows up in St. Joe loves Chris and Kate's, everybody. It's great ice cream. It's a pink ice cream cone building. It's fun. It's a cool business. And so I remember as a kid thinking it'd be cool to own it. And it came up for sale. I had the opportunity to buy it. And when I had the opportunity the first time to buy it, they wanted X number of dollars. I went in and I was like, hey, show me the financials. Show me your tax returns, blah, blah, blah. They couldn't give me POS reports. They couldn't give me... Uh, P&Ls, financial statements, they couldn't give me tax returns, nothing. I just got all wow. these wings like, oh, it's a heavy cash business. And I never got anything out of it. So I, I walked away from it. Well, then I kind of matured in business. And then two years later, I came back and I knew what the drill was going to be. And it was still for sale because nobody else wanted to buy it because it had nothing. And so then I came back two years later and I just said, hey, I'll give you X number of dollars, no due diligence, take it or leave it. And they were like, we'll do it. And so I bought Chris and Kate's. Because I saw the fact that it was, it's been in town since 1997, is a well-established business. Um, marketing, there was zero marketing. There was um, a lot of negative reviews and a lot of bad culture inside. And then from the first time I did due diligence, I saw that they were doing a lot of things that I'd learned. I could get their food cost way down. So I just saw an opportunity in a distressed business. And so I bought that location and... Uh, first year it blew up, you know, their, their previous highest previous sales, highest sales ever. Their sales were 197,000 a year as a seasonal business, uh, March to October. There were 197,000 a year to 212,000 a year. And my first year open, I tripled that. And, um, so it was really good the first year. Then it slowed down. That was in COVID. And then I opened another one. So that's why I'm in the ice cream business, but it's a really fun business. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see where like people in, in your town are thinking you're the guy that like sells the salty nuts and then sells the uh, delicious beverage afterwards when she gets really right. thirsty from it type thing. Yeah. yeah. Needle a little bit. But so you mentioned the idea of um, Chris and Kate's being a distressed business. What did you mean by that exactly? Is it Was it because they were just so disorganized and didn't have the yeah. their P&Ls and everything or what would you say made them willing to to sell like that yeah at the time they'd been open for 20 23 years I think it was and there was it was a long family long time family owned business there was no financial statements there was no nothing as far as numbers which you, you can't sell a business with a good multiple when you have nothing to show for it um, okay. there was zero marketing there was terrible culture. There was all kinds of negative reviews pouring in the last few years. And then when I but, looked at it, like they were doing things like getting their food from 12 different places. 
We go to this grocery store for this. We go to this grocery store for this. We go to Sam's Club for this. We call Cisco for this. We call this company for these nuts. We do this. And I was like, I just knew, knowing what I know being in food, I can streamline this and save a ton of money and time. And they had no guidance for their employees. They had, I mean, the prior owners, they did a fine job with it for what they wanted to do. I wanted to make it a legitimate, um, nice little side business for the seasonal business. And so I just saw so many areas where I could improve it, where it was like, I got to try this. Was there something that made them want to sell though? Or, or were they happy just being a mess? (laughs) They were burned out. out. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the original Chris and Kate, they, uh, it's two sisters and the dad bought the business for them in 1997. I'm pretty sure they were like early twenties or late teens. And so, you know, now they're in their forties or fifties, however old they were, you know, and they were just tired of it. They were tired of the seasonal ice cream business. And so, Hmm. um, and they'd never had any luck hiring managers and stuff. That's the thing people don't understand. Like when you buy a business or you start a business, you know, some people you have the ability to go buy a business or start a business and work in it every day. And that's mm-hmm. cool. You bought yourself a job and I'm not yeah. knocking. I think that's awesome because there's a lot of, like I wouldn't want to work for somebody. I'd rather buy myself a job and work in it every day than work for somebody else. Sure. However, then there's another level of, um, talent tier, whatever you want to call it in a business where you have the ability to have employees and scale out of it or a manager. And I knew I had the ability to do that and they never did. And I don't know if they never wanted to, or if they just, uh, couldn't or what, but you know, I've got a really great manager in there. I've got great shift leads in in a team in both locations and it's gone really well. Yeah. As I understand it, that's a really key, um, and difficult skill to develop as an entrepreneur is the ability to, to attract and then keep that talent. Right. Does that, how did you learn that? You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if thank God above, um, thank my dad for, you know, my dad and my mom were both in business when I was younger. I got to watch them, um, and watching other people. And like, I've learned a lot from people in life of what not to do. That's kind of been my whole mantra of my life. As Mm -hmm. I look at people doing things, I think there's a whole lot more to be learned from people who are not, who are doing something wrong than they're like, it's easy to look at somebody who's spending their money stupid and say, I'm not going to do that. It's tougher to look at somebody who you see appear doing well, you really don't know and say, I'm going to do that. No, you don't even know what they're doing. But you know what not to do. And so I watched people growing up who had employees who would get pissed off and scream at their employees. And I was like, not going to do that. And I would watch people, uh, you know, just different things like that. And so I don't know, man, I think just kind of psychology and watching people and knowing the way I like being talked to and the things that motivate me. I'll give you one key thing. There's this big there and there's it's there's way more in-depth stuff online than, than I'll be able to tell you on this. But like. People have personality colors. So you have white, red, yellow, or blue. What motivates you? What are you driven by? Are you driven by blue? If you're a blue personality, you're driven by helping people. You're driven by that gratification you get from helping people. So like a lot of nurses you meet, people in the medical world, they'll be blue personalities. Then there's red personalities. A lot of your business owners, your your entrepreneurs are red. You're motivated by money. I'm Mm -hmm. a heavily red person. personality. Then there's yellow. Yellow is motivated heavily by time with friends, time off, partying, vacation, travel, one of those things. And so, and then there's white. White is motivated by just 
logical. They like seeing numbers add up on a spreadsheet. They like seeing uh, KPIs hit the points. And so you got to figure out what motivates people. And once you figure out what, like I'm always trying to identify when I meet people, what type of person they are. Because I think one thing a lot of people do wrong with employees is they think everybody wants money. And not everybody cares so much about money. Some people care about getting off and getting home with their family at a good time. Some people yeah. care about the gratification that comes from doing X duty within the business. Um, and, and I think a lot of people think that all people care about is money. And I'll tell you this, I got employees that make you know, 40 grand, 45 grand, and they're way happier than if they went down the road and made 90 working somewhere else because of different ways that I set up their life conducive to how they like it. Um, you know, whether it be getting their weekends off or get, or just the fact of getting to work inside the walls of a business that they enjoy and around people they like. Like, I don't know. I think there's a big, there's a lot of people waking up to the fact that, man, money makes things a lot easier, of course, but money isn't everything. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. That's really interesting. I haven't heard those personality types of the colors. I'm going to have to look that up. And I'm wondering like what I am. I mean, I think I'm red, but I don't, I don't know. I'm for sure you're sure. a lot red. I haven't talked to you enough to know, but I know I'm red. I have some blue in me. I like helping people. See, I really like seeing my employees grow. And, and so that's like the blue side of me. And then, um, I've become more yellow as, as I get a family. Yeah. Speaking of family, at what point in your entrepreneurial journey did you start one? Yeah. So my wife, um, my wife, Kelly, she is freaking awesome. I love my wife and she has, uh, two kids from a previous marriage. And so Jack and Kennedy, uh, they're nine and 10 years old and Kelly and I have been together for about almost nine years. And so I, they, you know, I'm 30 now. So, I mean, the whole time I've been in business, I had two kids that were like my own and, then I had, so then Kelly and I, we, I mean, we lived together for years. We got married a couple of years ago and, um, and had another baby restarted. So now we have a nine, 10 and a one and a half year old at home. And, you know, so I basically had two kids and a wife at home from the start. Right. Yeah. But we weren't married and whatever else, but my, uh, my wife's awesome. She's crazy supportive. And when I look back, I wasn't as present for Jack and Kennedy's very early years as I am now for August's early years, but life and finances and uh, different freedoms have allowed me that to now versus in the past. But I've, but now they're nine and 10 and I'm still very present. So, uh, you know, pretty much the whole time, to be honest with you. Yeah. It sounds like you were a dadpreneur from the start then, right? From the first Fit Republic all the way through Lean Kitchen Co. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So how do you, how do you balance everything, man? Like how do you time manage? I I don't really like the word balance because I think it's um, a little bit, my personal opinion on it is that there isn't really balance. Like you actually have to choose and there's different seasons of life where, you know, even you mentioned like when you were, when you were younger and you had your businesses, like you, you might've chosen the business a little bit more than like time with family. And there's, so there's seasons to build and seasons to rest and et cetera. But, um, and that's just my opinion, but how, how do you balance everything for lack of a better term? Because yeah. you have tons of businesses, you have uh, multiple kids, a wife, like, and it seems like, you know, you're, you're thriving, man. Like it, you seem like my, a role model for me. So how do you, how do you do it? 
Thank you. So, man, I, first of all, I want to say I agree with you. I think balance is the idea of balance is BS just in the sense of like, oh, we're going to get this perfect. I'm going to achieve this perfect balance. I think people seeking that you're never going to be fulfilled. And, and you know what? There's different ideas of balance. Let me tell you an idea of balance that's foreign to a lot of people. How about work your nuts off until you're 30 and invest, 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 and then get to live the back half of your life really chill? Right. How yeah. about balance of lifetime? Or are we talking balance day to day? Are we talking like the idea of balance, I think, is like this unobtainable thing. You have to find balance for you. And mm -hmm. so, um, man, for me, I mean, here's the deal. I'm not perfect at it, but it is something that I, I will give myself a pat on the back on. And I, I think I've done really well at over the last couple of years, which is I, I want to be present for everything. Um, so wherever I am, wherever my feet are, I want to be very present for it. Okay. So when I'm at work working, um, I'm, I'm zoned in, I'm not messing around. I'm getting my work done. And then, and I don't equate hours put in with productivity because that's a big mistake to be like, Oh, I was at the office eight hours today. What if you could have gotten the work done in four? So it, it's not achievement to be there for hours. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for productivity. I've become better in the last couple of years at delegating. I have an awesome team around me that I can delegate tasks to and they kick ass and they get them done and do a very good job with them. And they help a lot. Uh, Cause I couldn't do all this myself. I promise you that. Um, you know, I, I like to work out and stay healthy. I think that's important. And so, for example, I had a 2 p.m. call. The 2 p.m. call at 2.10, they still hadn't called me. It got pushed back. And so I had 45 minutes. I had about an hour before this. Well, I had some stuff I could have gotten done, but I know I want to be home right after this with my family. And so I went to the gym and I set a 30-minute timer. And I went hard for 30 minutes. And, and I, I focused. And I wasn't on my phone in the gym. And then I hurry back to the office and I jump on this podcast. And then after this, I'm going to go home and I'm going to hang out with my wife and kids. And, and once I hang out with my wife and kids, and this is probably, you know, not so much about time management, but I want to say it, you have to be present with your family. And so how many times, Brendan, do you see people or hear about people, you know, they're in a meeting and their family, their wife calls and they go, I'll get back to that. But then when they're home with their family, in business calls, they tell their family, hey, hold on. I mean, that, to so me, true. that's yeah. I don't want that life, man. My my family is my most important thing. So when I'm with my family, chances are I'm not answering business calls. And then when they go to bed, which my wife and kids all go to bed early, a lot of times 8, 30, 9 o'clock, I'm usually going for a run and then sitting down on the computer, turning something on Netflix, and I'm working for another hour. So I don't know that I really answered your question, <laughs> but – just trying to stay present where I am and trying to utilize every minute. And, you know, it's nothing for me. If I have 30 minutes, I'll go pull up where I like to run and I'll set a 15 minute timer and I'll take off running and I'll listen to a podcast or a book. And when the timer goes off, I'll shut off the timer and I'll turn around and run back. And I squeezed every minute out of the 30 minutes I had by getting in my workout, for example. So yeah. just compartmentalize. Yeah. I mean, I think, Though they even, I think that that's a hundred percent true because it's something so simple being present that, but it is so difficult to actually execute, to actually do. And it's definitely something that I need to do better, but in terms of actually time managing or balancing or whatever you want to call it, you get so much out of what you're actually doing in that moment that you can, you know, have a, a better 
for lack of a better term, balanced life when, when you do that, when you actually execute being present well, right? Whereas yeah, if you're multitasking all the time, then you're just half-assing everything, you know? Exactly. You're not squeezing the productivity out of the time. I mean, even relationships, like I have relationships in my life, like people, like when I hang out with people and they're on their phone, it drives me crazy. Like get off your phone. We're trying to have a conversation with each other. You know what I mean? And then, and, and, or, or they're checking an email or something. It's just like, if you're going to have the conversation with somebody, be present. If you're going to do a meeting, be present for the meeting, so on and so forth. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So there's a question that your dad gave me for context for the listeners. I, I know Austin's dad pretty well. We, we talk a lot, but he asked me to ask you about your money baskets. What, what is that exactly? Buckets. Yeah. Buckets. Yeah. So, uh, man, I didn't invent this. There's a million people who do it out there, but this is the way I operate. So I like to think of money in buckets. And so I have all kinds of different accounts and shameless plug here. Not that it helps me any, but capital one savings accounts, high interest savings accounts. I love them. You can open 10 of them and have them all. You can label them different things. And so, man, I have several different bank accounts for businesses, for personal, everything. And money goes into buckets accordingly. Um, and, you know, I don't know if the first time I learned it was from Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Have you ever read that book? One of the best books ever, hand down, hands down business books. Um, I, I listen to it almost every year just as a refresher. But, I, man, I – so, for example, like personal, like I have a Capital One rainy day fund account. That's the oh shit account. You know, money stays in that. Aaron's 5% interest. I don't want it invested at risk. It's just my family's emergency fund you know, six months, 12 months, whatever you deem appropriate for you. I think once you're over 12 months, you're too conservative. I think if you're less than six, you're ballsy. Uh, so Capital One Rainy Day Fund. Then I have a vacation account. You know, I don't care if there's $200 a month thrown in there, $700 a month, whatever your budget is, but at least you're setting aside something for you to be able to enjoy with your family. Um, I like cars. So I had a I, I have a Porsche 911 and I have a, a, I had an account called Porsche 911 account. And every month I would transfer money into that account. And then once it got to a number that I felt comfortable with, I went out and I bought a car and my payments come out of that account. I still transfer my regular monthly into there. But the reason I like that, and I, I'll talk about the car just because you could use this for any example. You know, let's say you transfer $1,000 into an account and let's say that account gets built up to $30,000 and then you go buy said vehicle or whatever you want to buy and you finance it for $1,500 a month, but you keep transferring that thousand dollars in. Well, now you only have $500 burn on that $30,000. So you have a ton of runway for your payments and then your lifestyle doesn't change. Yeah. You're paying out $1,500 a month, but you've been transferring that thousand for forever. So hopefully that made sense. I just like this concept of buckets. I have a car account. I have a vacation account. I have a rainy day fund account. I have a taxes account. So I put money in there. So I know I don't spend it to pay taxes at the end of the year. I got my checking account. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have read that book profit first and it is a great, great book. I think in it, he recommends like four accounts. I can't recall what they are. It's like biz op taxes, and then OPEX, taxes, owner comp, profit, owner comp. Income, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. But the point is, it's a great book. I mean, it's about making your business stop being a cash eating machine and, and taking profit, paying yourself first. And so that's kind of where I got it. And then I just grew the concept um, because 
there's a lot of buckets you need in life. You know, you got you got to take your family on vacation and taking family on vacation whenever you have to take it all out of your checking account really sucks. But if yeah. you've got five grand sitting in the vacation account and, you, and your wife says, you want to go on a vacation? You're like, check the vacation account. You're like, I don't care. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that somewhere along the way, some people, some entrepreneurs are like the the landscape for entrepreneurs kind of lost sight of like how it's ridiculous to state this even, but how important being profitable actually is. Um, and I think there's multiple reasons for that. And and obviously the book talks a little bit about that. Um, but just take an example, like, um, Elon Musk's Tesla, not that he started Tesla, but the point is like they, they grew the company, grew the company, grew the company. And it's a huge, massive company. And it, it, uh, I'm not even sure last I checked, you know, I don't even know if it's profitable. It's still still. Profitable. Yeah. I mean, but, that's so many companies on the S and P 500 Uber, Uber. It's like, well, Uber's got this sky high evaluation off of what or Netflix, they lose billions. I don't understand it. So I didn't grow. I don't know. My brain just doesn't work like that. And I don't, I'm not around the right people in Silicon Valley or whatever else. That's not business to me. I mean, it is obviously, but like, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you could be losing your ass and worth billions of dollars, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. I, I think, and that's as a result, I think that it has influenced certain, um, entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs to have this idea of they, they just grow the company, grow the company and then sell it with, and it doesn't even ever have to be profitable. They just raise crazy. Money. Oh yeah. yeah. Or, or let's go out and just raise money for this concept. And yeah, it's, it's so foreign to me. I'm not smart enough to understand it. I'm not in the right circles to understand it. That's okay with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay with me too. I think uh, being profitable is kind of important. <laughs> so kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely cool. That's all. I mean, that's all reason why I got into it. So I'm trying to be as profitable as possible. Yep. So Austin, what's your take on ke- teaching your kids entrepreneurship? Yeah. So I thought about this a lot and you mentioned you were going to say something about this. So I, um, uh, I have a saving thing with money, just money management that I teach my kids. Um, so, you know, if they get out of every dollar, I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head now, out of every dollar, they have to save 60% can spend 30% and they have to give 10%. And I make them keep a little money ledger. And so I didn't believe in allowance, but then I started doing this and we give them a chore allowance. And so, um, that's our efforts to try to teach them about money because the system is going to fail you and never teach you about how to manage money. And, then I take them, you know, they know I own rental property. And so I, I try to teach them that it's pretty cool. You can ask my nine and 10 year old what a flip house is and they'll say, fix it, flip it, fix it, buy it, fix it, sell it. Or if you ask them rental property, they'll say it's where somebody pays you to live in there. So I've taught them that. And I try to teach them, like I, I tell them a lot, Hey, Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. I say, Hey, you buy the houses. And then once you get enough houses, then you can buy your toys. And so I try to teach them assets versus liabilities, but, um, and they know I own businesses and I'll answer questions. You know, Jack's 10, he's getting more curious asking questions at this point though. They're so young. I haven't really gotten anything beyond that, but the framework is there. Yeah. My, mine are one and three. So I need to start thinking about how exactly to execute that. But my wife brought up the other day about how important it is to get them involved in, in chores around the house and helping and all that kind of stuff. And, I didn't even think that it was like possible, I guess, when they're that young. But I think definitely at like three, they understand enough to be able to like 
pick up their toys or whatever it might be. And the, yeah, the idea of like money management, adding the, the allowances and everything, definitely start there. But, but well, you have some old, older ones too. You said nine and 10. Is that your oldest? Yeah, nine and 10. So that's where Jack and Ken, they are, they're, they're, they're getting the chore money and they're, they're saving it. I will say this though, I forgot about this. Here this year, this summer, for the first time, they did a lemonade stand at Chris and Kate's, my ice cream store. So I had an event and they did their first lemonade stand. And man, there were so many great lessons. They kept, they were so excited and then they didn't want to sit there and they kept telling each other to sit there. And then Kennedy, she's my sweetheart. She was trying to pay everybody to work for her. And I, but so that was <laughs> wild. But uh, so that was the first real entrepreneurial thing I've had them do. And it was a blast. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The classic lemonade stand. I had a, a guy named CJ, the closer on the podcast some weeks back. He's out in LA and his daughter did a, a lemonade stand. Um, and he's a, he's a sales guy, right? So he was te- teaching her how to sell and she made some absurd amount of money. I can't recall now what he said it was, but it was like, it was like over a grand in the day. like $25 lemonades or something crazy. <laughs> yeah, no joke, man. Good Lord. Like California, yeah. probably so. Yeah, true, true. They, that's that's what all the taxes added on. <laughs> right, right. But, but anyway, he put it on social media and it blew up. So now she has like her own little Instagram or whatever about that. Um, and I thought it was really cool because the, the, the whole angle is him teaching her daughter, his daughter, um, entrepreneurship. So can't, can't miss the, the classic lemonade stand. You got to start there, right? Yeah. You got to have a lemonade stand. I also read, speaking of you saying your kids are so young and doing chores. I read something the other day that kids under five who do household chores, they're like, I can't remember what it was, but they're statistically much more likely to, I, I don't know. There was some tie to being financially successful in the future or something. I thought it was interesting. So the other day when my one and a half year old was helping load the uh, the dryer with my clothes, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my wife saw the same thing. That's how we we ended up talking about it, actually. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. I forget where she saw it. It was probably social media somewhere, but yeah. Um, so, Austin, you have your own podcast, Speed Bumps, that I actually listen to. What made you start that? So back to earlier what I was talking about, about learning from people's mistakes. So speed bumps, the whole premise of it is we all have a ton of speed bumps in life, you know, relationships, business, fitness, everything. And so I have truly learned so much from my life of what not to do. When I was franchise, when I began franchising, I looked back at the concept I franchised called Fit Republic. And when I started, there was 13 and now there's two, mine and one other one, and they're not franchising anymore. And I learned, I looked at what they did and they did so many things that it's like, I'm not going to do that. For example, they would sell a franchise to anybody and everybody who called. So you had bodybuilders owning supplement stores. Well, that's drunk zone in a bar. It doesn't work. And so when Lean <laughs> Kitchen started, I wasn't about to franchise to everybody who calls. So, you know, we have 33 locations nationwide with 65 sold set to open currently, but we don't just give franchises to anybody and everybody. You have to go through the discovery process and you have to be awarded a franchise. And I've eliminated a lot of people real early on because they're just not good fit. They're, I don't think they will be, you know? And so um, that's just an example, but speed bumps, you can learn a lot from people's speed bumps. And so I have guests on and I interview them and I'm not interviewing you to hear about how badass you are. I'm not interviewing you to hear about how much money you're making. 
I don't care if you're worth a billion dollars. Everybody's been through speed bumps and can share those speed bumps where there's a lot to be learned from in those. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's, that's what I think. Um, I think there's a ton to be learned from those moments and that's kind of the premise of my podcast. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I love that too. And I think that, um, that's actually very relatable to people on social media or just in general is like, for whatever reason, this, the stuff that you're talking about when you really struggled or, or whatever you overcame is the stuff that people can more relate to rather than flashing the Rolexes and the Ferraris and all that kind of right. stuff that you see so much of, uh, you know, on money, Twitter or whatever it might be. Um, Nobody learns anything from those things, you know? I mean, truly, like, even when I think of the people who have, like, let's go to the most badass business podcast ever. You have Andy Frisella, okay? Andy Frisella is extremely successful. He's put out amazing content, top podcast. He's good at everything he does. And he does a lot of lessons and talking about lessons. Those lessons are extracted out of the tough times in his life. But if, if I were to sit down with him and get to have a long, drawn-out conversation, I wouldn't want to know how did you get first form to be this badass supplement company? Like, I don't want to hear the good stuff. I want to hear like, Hey, when you came out with greens, your greens product two, three years ago, and you guys sold out and you didn't have enough in stock and it was a shit show. Talk to me about that. That's what I want to hear about. Not how'd you think to do a greens product, you know, because that's where all that adversity is, is where, where the things are learned in life. Yeah. Without that adversity, makes you're just weak. You're not armed right. for anything. You know, that's how you can learn to appreciate adversity. Any adversity you're going through in life, business, relationship, anything, you know, adversity is like the glue that holds you together whenever the next hard thing in life hits and you know how to handle it because you went through this. Yeah. And if there's anything that's basically guaranteed in business, it's, it's going to be that there's speed bumps or obstacles or whatever you want to call them. So you have to yeah. embrace it. And the, there's something that I say on the podcast sometimes. I don't think I've said it in a while, but I, I think that I don't like the idea of calling things failure. Like I think that, you know, when we go through school and you get an F that stands for failure because you didn't do a good enough job, you didn't make that, that paper perfect enough before you turned it in. Um, that's not really how life works though. Like when in life, when you, when you go try things, you always suck at it at first. Always, yeah. you always quote unquote fail and it, but you don't actually fail. You, you just, if, as long as you keep going, you get better and better and better. So you only really fail if you quit. So 100%. that I, that I would just like to say that as much as possible, because that is something that I think if somebody is going from employee to entrepreneur, they have to make that mindset shift because you have to realize that you are going to quote unquote fail. I don't even like to say fail because I, I don't think it is failure. It's just that you're not going to be good at it at first, but you have to keep going. You have to go through the obstacles, go through the speed bumps, um, take it all as feedback, use it all as learning processes and get better. And then hopefully share it all with us so that we can learn. Right. But that's, that's really hard to do because you yeah. have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to admit that, you know, you just were, you were young and dumb at the time or whatever it might be, you know, but and that's why I think it's so much easier for people to get up there and the flash, the, the, the Rolexes and the Ferraris and show their success, but they don't want to show how, how, what they went through to get there. And, um, you know, a lot of people are saying nowadays building public, building public, but it is really hard to execute. Like it's hard to, to actually want to take pictures of the hard times 
you know, I think I saw Alex Ramosi tweet something about that the other day, actually, is like, he, take pictures of like, when you're living in the, your one bedroom apartment with the mattress on the floor, because someday you're actually going to want to show it to people and prove like, this is what I had to do to get to you. You just don't want to show it now. Yeah, right. You just don't, you just really don't want to show it now. <laughs> but it's going to be a long, hard road full of speed bumps if you're going to make the jump from employee to entrepreneur. So you need to be prepared for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Austin, where can people find out more about you, more about Lean Kitchen Co., if they are curious about all that? Yeah, shoot, man. Lean Kitchen Co. on Instagram or leankitchenco.com. Um, and then I'm just normal dude just on Instagram. I don't even have a cool username. I'm Austin underscore Evans seven, but you'll find me just Google Austin Evans lean kitchen and I'll come up, but hopefully someday I'll get more consistent with my podcast and start growing it like yours. Yeah. Yeah. You should, man. It's a, it's a great podcast. Definitely check his podcast out. It's speed bumps by Austin Evans. And are you mainly on Apple or where are you on everything? Yeah. Speed bumps with Austin Evans and that, yeah, I I guess I should plug that. I mean, go, go look up speed bumps with Austin Evans. I definitely think if you're a person listening to this employer entrepreneur podcast, I think you'll enjoy it. There's a lot to learn. I share a lot of stories. I mean, heck, one of my first episodes I shared was cash flow and this massive cash flow speed bump where, I had accumulated 75 grand in the bank and it was most money I ever had by a long shot. And within like weeks I had $600 and it was a big eye opener. So things like that. And there's, there's a lot of good messages there. So. Definitely. Definitely. It is a great fit for anybody listening to this podcast. If you're interested in this podcast, you'll be interested in Austin's as well. So check out speed bumps there. And if you're thinking about making the jump from employee to entrepreneur, please do so because I really believe the world needs more entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs solve problems. And Lord knows we have enough of those. So join me, join Austin, make the transition from employee to entrepreneur, and we will see you on the other side.